Well, open your Bibles to Revelation 21 tonight. Revelation 21, as I've said, I've been looking forward to this passage for a while. Even more so after this week, swimming in the waters of oppression and abuse in Ecclesiastes. And the vision that John sees is what we all long for. He sees in this passage the the new heaven and uh, the new earth. It's it is the place that is our home. It's the place that's coming as we sing this. In this world, we are just passing through, and we're longing for this place that John's going to show us uh, about tonight. The Bible describes this earth and all of its cursed parts as a, as a temporary abode. <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. The Bible describes us as strangers and pilgrims in this, in this world. It tells us not to put your roots down too, too deep, too far in, in the soil of the earth because one day this, this entire place will be, will be rolled up like a, like a scroll. In Hebrews 11, the passage that's called the, the halls of faith, the, the individuals there by faith, by faith, by faith are all looking for, for one thing. They're, they're looking for this city that John is going to show us Tonight, whose, whose builder and maker is God. Listen to Hebrews eleven sixteen. It says that we desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And not only them, but all of the redeemed, you here, here tonight. What did Jesus comfort his disciples with right before his crucifixion? You remember? In the Gospel of John, in the 14th chapter, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are, are many mansions, or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Those are words of comfort that Jesus gives to his disciples to to blunt the the reality of of his death that's that's coming. Jesus says there's a pl- says there's a place I'm going and a place that you're coming. And to bring that about he says I must go, but if I go I will come again and receive you. And that longing to be with the Lord in heaven is what marks a, a true believer in the Bible. That includes a love for the brethren, as First John says. If, as it's been said, if you don't enjoy being with Christians in church now, you're not going to enjoy heaven. Even worse, you, you might not get there because that's one of the evidences that, that you're going to heaven, is that you enjoy being with, with the brethren. That longing to be with God and to be with, with the redeemed in this place that John's going to show us tonight. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, I think we just we sang it or we quoted it. The sons of Korah sing about the longing to be with God. It's like, a, it's like a, an unquenchable thirst. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When will I be in God's presence? I long for that day. I yearn for that day. 
there's nothing that truly satisfies on earth because we long to be with God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, the pure in heart, they're the ones that are going to see God. John MacArthur said, The Bible is clear that a believer's focus is heaven. Our work is here on the earth, but our longing, our focus, our eyes are, are, always, are always cast toward the horizon, always cast toward, toward heaven. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 3.1, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above, where, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of, of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things that are on the earth. Why? Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, and we've surely seen that in the book of Revelation, then you also will be revealed with Him, listen, in glory. And that's what we, we long for. First John chapter 2 tells us not to love the world, nor the things of the world, or in the world, because it's passing away. All we treasure as believers in heaven, you think about this? Everything that as believers we treasure is in heaven. Our Father is in heaven, isn't He? That's what you're instructed to pray our Savior is in heaven. Fellow believers are in heaven. Do you have some fellow believers that are already in heaven that you long to see? I do too. Our names are recorded in heaven. Our inheritance is in heaven. Our new glorified bodies will be ours in, in heaven. That's why the Apostle Paul says to live as Christ and yet to die as gain. Because then we will be with Him and we will be in heaven. If heaven's not important to you, you, you may need to check to see if you're a child of God. The Bible refers to heaven more than 500 times. And the book of Revelation refers to heaven 50 times. And now John gives us a picture of that heaven which is coming. So let's read the first eight verses of Revelation 21. Verse 1. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, being ready as a bride or uh, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these things are, these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, 
and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that, that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. John sees something new. He sees a place prepared. And, and what he sees, what he sees, you're exactly right. What he sees, there we go, is four features of the new creation in these first, first eight verses. He sees... Yep, still not working there. A new heaven and the new earth in verse 1. A new city in verse 2. He sees a new union in verses 3 through 5. And then he sees the new citizens of this new creation in verses 6 through 8. Look at what he sees in verse 1. There's a new heaven and the new earth, and he says it's completely new and it replaces the old. It's completely new, and it replaces the old. Look, if you would, at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth pass away, passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Now, the Bible uses the term heaven for three distinct places. You remember the Apostle Paul said he was caught up into the, into the third heaven. There's the sky or the earth's atmosphere. That's the heaven. The birds fly in the, in the heavens. Then there's the space that's beyond that, the, the expanse, the, what you see whenever you look up into the sky after dark, the, where the stars and the moon and the, and the sun are at. And then what's beyond all of that? That's the, the second, time, second way the Bible uses the term heaven. Then there's the, the dwelling place of God. And that, that's what John is talking about. Here, here's a new heaven and a, and a new earth. Heaven is a, is a real place. And I don't need some three-year-old who comes, supposedly comes back from the dead to tell me about it and make a million dollars on the book. I've got the book of Revelation right here. All, all I need is the Bible to tell me about heaven. Amen? It's not Zen or enlightenment or any other ideal. It's a real, literal place. And John sees it here. He saw the new one, and he, and he saw the old one. God will create a new realm for His people to dwell in, and they'll dwell there forever. And that's what John sees first. He, he sees a new one, a, a kainos. It, it doesn't just mean next, but, but never before. It's not just the one, it's not just new in the sense that it comes after the old one. It's, it's new in the sense it's something that's never before been. It's not a reworking of the old creation, as, as some propose. It's a, it's a brand new creation. It's the idea of the, of the Word. How do we know that? Well, John Cooley tells us here, For the first heaven and the first earth passes away. And he says there's no longer any sea. This is not a, a reworking. This is a brand new creation. Turn back to Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. And I'll show you how Peter shows us very clearly that this is a brand new place. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a, like a thief. 
The day of the Lord is what's described in the book of Revelation. There is the day of the Lord, the final climactic judgment, and then there's the the judgments that come building up to that. All of that's included in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, this is the climactic one, will come like a thief, unexpected. What will happen on that day in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and with and the elements will be destroyed in with intense heat, melt in fervent heat, and the earth and its works will be will be burned up. And what's Peter say? Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, the day that he just described? because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, what are we looking for? We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is not a remake of the old. This is brand new. Turn back to Revelation 21. The old creation will pass away and a new one will come. Just like there's a new covenant and an old covenant. There's a, a new heaven and a new earth, just like there was an old one. Hebrews 8.13 says, And when he said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. The, the, just like the old covenant, this, is, this old earth will will disappear. In fact, John takes his language to describe his vision from from Isaiah 65. Listen to Isaiah 65 and see if you can hear where John gets some of some of these words. Listen to listen to Isaiah 65:17. For behold, this is God, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. For the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem, be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her, in her the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. A new heavens and a new earth. John's read his Bible. He sees exactly what's been promised right here. Look at the end of verse 1. John sees a new heaven and a new earth. The old one's passed away. And then he says, there's no longer any sea. There's no longer any sea. Now, there's probably about as many interpretations to what that means as the people who try to come up with what that means. Frankly, I don't think any of them know what the significance is, and frankly, I don't either. (laughs) One said it's because, John uses this because mythology uses the sea to symbolize evil. And the ancient dragon, there's an ancient dragon from a Babylonian legend. That's why John uses it. Well, that's ridiculous. Why in the world would, would John take a Babylonian legend and put it in the, 
in the Bible. Another speculated this means it, it represents the end of God's judgment, like, like the flood, which will be over. No more, no more waters for, for flood. But the flood didn't just come from the water, it didn't just come from the seas, it came from, from, from above and, and, and below. Another said that, that John puts this in here because, because he hates the sea. He's surrounded by it on the Isle of Patmos. So he says, I'm getting out of this place. So he takes a shot at the sea. I don't think that's what he's doing here either. And still another said the current earth is water-based. It's a water-based environment, and we need water for our current bodies. They're primarily water, as you know. But in the new heaven and the new earth, we, we won't need it. So again, just kind of grasping a little bit of everything. Where, where do you find that in the text? Well, the text just says there, there will no longer be any sea. I think John's point is the new creation is radically different, and it has a single source. There is no water in the new heaven or the new earth, but there is a single river. Look, if you would, at Revelation 22, verse 1. further description of what John's showing us in the macro here. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal. And where's it coming from? It's coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street, and on either side of the river, was the, the tree of life bearing twelve kinds of, of fruits. There's no sea, but there's a single river and that river is flowing from the throne of God. And, and so that's its source. Jesus Christ is on that throne. And those who thirst for that water will enter the new heaven and have their thirst quenched. And the source of that water is from the throne of God and Jesus Christ Himself. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well in John 4? John four thirteen through 15. Everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that, that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. There will be no more need for water on the earth. Everything we need will come from God. It will come from His throne. Jesus Christ will be the source. And not only does John see a new heaven and a new earth, but he sees a, a new city. And John describes this city. He sees its character. He sees its source. And he also sees its preparation. If you would at verse 2. He said, And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. John's eyes now behold the capital city of the eternal state. And what a sight it is. It's not heaven, but it's heaven's capital. And the first thing he sees is its character. He says it's a, it's a holy city. A holy city. It's holy because it's the city of God. Flesh and blood can't enter into the, the kingdom of heaven because it's corrupted. Nothing can cor corrupt, can enter into, into heaven. And because everyone in it is holy, 
It's a holy city because it comes from God and all those in it are holy. I can remember the first time that Tracy and I went to the big city. A couple West Virginians were in our 20s, and we went to New York. We went for a business trip. We stayed in the Plaza Hotel, big fancy place. It was myself and one other physician. We got to the hotel and can remember, you know, just the same reaction everybody has. You come from the from the airport and you ride in the cab, and and I, I thought that was bad. But then I went to Nepal and I and I saw the way that crazy people really drive over there. But you know the 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 yellow cabs and they're beeping everywhere. And we got to the hotel and you know, the buildings are are all over the place and super high. And we we put our stuff in the hotel and then. We wanted to check out the city. Well, the Plaza Hotel is right across the street from Central Park. And so we walked across the street to Central Park. And no more did we step off the sidewalk into Central Park when a drunk popped out of the bushes and relieved himself on the sidewalk right in front of us. And I said, well, that's about as far as we need to go in Central Park. So we turned around and we walked back across the street and we were honked at several times, probably a few other things besides honking, but we crossed the street, and before we got back to the hotel, three panhandlers tried to get our money within, within 50 yards. And then we went to a Broadway show, first Broadway show I've ever been to. I won't even tell you the one that I went to. I was an unsaved man, and it was so filthy that I couldn't even describe it to you. It blew me away. Well, the New Jerusalem will be a holy city. There won't be any drunks there. (laughs) There won't be any panhandlers there. There won't be any filthiness there because all of those drunks and sinners like me and like you have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and we've got new robes and we'll enter in a new city whose builder and maker is God. You're going to be able to leave your mansion unlocked in, in that city. Only righteousness dwells there. And it's also a city, not only a holy one, but, but one that, that comes from God. And John sees the city's source. Look, if you would, again, at, new, at verse 2. He sees New Jerusalem. I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. There's the source. It's the source of this city. John MacArthur said this is the third city named Jerusalem. He reminded me of that. The first city that was named Jerusalem was was the ones you probably think about, the city of David, Nehemiah 11.1 and several other places. The second city that's named Jerusalem is the restored city of Jerusalem in the, in the, the millennial kingdom. The third one is the new Jerusalem described Right here. And it's new because this one doesn't belong to the old creation. You can still go to the city of David today. You're going to go to the new Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom, but there's a new one that's coming that doesn't belong to either of those. Jerusalem has always held a significant place in the, in the redemptive plan of God for for one reason and one reason only. That's where the Son of God was crucified. It's no mistake that Melchizedek was the king of 
Salem. It's not a random place where God told Abraham to take Isaac to sacrifice him. And whenever he was about to do that, there was a promise that that came. The angels stayed Abraham's hand. And what does the angel say? God will provide himself a lamb. There's no mistake that it was at that that very location. That's the same location where the first temple was built. And sacrifices were, were offered there. All of those sacrifices pointing to the one sacrifice that would, that would come. It's no coincidence in First Chronicles 21 that after David sinned and numbered Israel, and God's judgment comes, that David saw the, the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn over Jerusalem. And when he confesses his sin, the angel tells him to build an altar on Ornan, the Jebusite's threshing floor. Do you remember that in 1 Chronicles 21? And you remember what happened when David obeyed and sacrificed? God told the angel to sheath his sword. Why was the sword drawn and why did God tell the angel to sheath his, his sword? The threshing floor was Mount Moriah, the future location of the crucifixion. And where on that day God will stay His own hand of judgment for all who trust in the sacrifice that will take place there on the cross. Jerusalem was chosen by God to be the mercy seat of the earth where the blood of of His Son was spilled. It's a special place. No wonder the capital city of the new heaven, will be named Jerusalem. This city was prepared by by Christ Himself. Look at verse 2 again. Here's the preparation. I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of, of heaven from God. There's the source. And made ready as a bride adorned for for her husband. You heard those words before? You better believe you have. It's an echo of the promise that Jesus makes to His church, to you. The church, she'll be like a bride adorned for for her husband. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. And listen, His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We've already went over that passage. The bride that God betrothed to His Son was chosen in eternity, before the foundation of the world. God promised a redeemed people from every tongue, tribe, and and nation to Christ. Then the Son comes and purchases that bride with with a dowry of his of his own blood. Acts twenty twenty eight. The warning that that the apostle Paul gives to to elders says, "Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood." The church is not yours. It's it's not mine. You shepherd it as if it's Christ, and it's precious to Christ. He spilled his blood for for the church. And then the Son is coming for that for that bride. When he does, he's going to begin a celebration and take her to his father's house. That's what John 14 declares. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again. 
And in that celebration of the wedding is what we see in Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the, of the Lamb. It will be a celebration. And what follows the celebration? The celebration in a Hebrew in a Hebrew wedding comes the consummation and the union. And then the husband and the, and the bride, the wife, will be together forever in the place that he's prepared for her. And that's exactly what we're seeing right here in Revelation 21. Here it is. This is the fulfillment of the specific promise that Jesus made when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And here is that, here's that place. And we'll see in a minute minute that this city has more than just the church in it. But Christ's promise to his bride finds its fulfillment right here. And when that happens, something amazing takes place. There's also a new new union. Look, if you would, at verse 3. John says, and I heard. He sees... He sees a, a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven, old earth's not there. He sees the capital city descending. And then he hears, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And John sees the, the fulfillment of, the presence, the benefits, and the declaration of this new union. John hears a loud voice making a monumental statement. It's a fulfillment of another promise. What does he say? He says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he'll dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Four different ways John says the same thing. Do you see that? God is among men. He dwells among them. They'll be His people, and God Himself will be among them. He says, it, says the same thing four different ways. It's the end of the separation that, that sin brought. And it's the beginning of God's full presence. What will it be like to be in the very presence of God? I don't know. <laughs> You get a taste of it with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In those moments when it's you and the Lord, and you have spiritual eyes to see, maybe in prayer, maybe an insight in, into the Word, and, and the rest of the world just, just, just drowns out. You don't care about anything else. You have spiritual eyes to be able to see the Lord, and you long to be with Him. That's just a taste of what this moment will be like. What we lost in the fall will be restored in this moment. We'll walk with God in the cool of the day. We'll be in God's very presence in this moment. That's what God has promised since Eden, and now He completes it. God brings that promise to pass in stages, doesn't He? Before the fall, mankind in the Garden of Eden, in in Genesis 1 through 3 begins the, the same way Revelation ends, except better. Before the fall, mankind had direct access to God. And you've read the story. In fact, God walked with them, meaning he, they, they enjoyed His presence. He, they had fellowship with Him. And then you also know what happened whenever sin came. Sin came and man was separated from God, out of mercy. 
I mean, that was God's mercy that He separated us from Him. It was, it was necessary because He's holy, and now we're not. But it was also out of mercy. Sin can't exist in the presence of God. So, so God casts us away, or, or else we'd be incinerated. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And yet God made a promise, though, didn't He? He made a promise to restore that fellowship through His Son, through the seed that would come. And then He begins to unfold that promise. That's, all, that's the entire Bible. God begins unfolding that promise with, with Abraham, doesn't He? He calls Abraham out of Ur by speaking to him. So here's Abraham. He's, he's a pagan. He's in a pagan city. And God speaks to him and says, Go to a place, go to a land that, that I'll show you. And then a new stage comes when... When God appears to Moses, and He calls the people out of Egypt. And God gives His people His law. And He tabernacles among them, doesn't He? Full separation. God dealing with men, visions, and burning bushes. And then God does something new. Now God is going to take His people out of the incubator, which was Egypt. They went in 70-some. They come out 2 million or more. And they, God leads them to a land, and where, what's God going to do? He's now going to dwell in the midst of His people. It's not completed, though, is it? The law regulates this holy God with unholy people, or else they would be, they would be consumed. Then a new stage comes. What, what happens in the, in, in the land? There's a tabernacle. It moves around. And then a new stage comes when Solomon builds a temple, Right? It's a permanent place. The presence of God goes from movable tabernacle to a permanent building in the promised land. And what happens at the coming of Christ when He returns to, to heaven? What's the New Testament say you are? You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells you in a new way. But, but you're still here and, and He's there. I understand He's omnipresent. And I know He lives in you. But you're not in heaven yet. There's still a separation. But here, in Revelation 21, now at the end of, of all things, the full promise finally arrives. God's people will fellowship with Him again in His very presence. And it will be permanent and it will never end. And you won't walk with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. You'll walk with Him on the streets of gold in New Jerusalem. Won't that be a wonderful thing? And that new era brings a lot of changes. There's some new, new benefits. There's the fulfillment. There's His presence. And this new union also brings some amazing benefits. Look at verse 4. And He, not only will He be present, but He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Heaven will be so different from what we know, it's, it's hard to describe. Eyes not seen, nor ears heard. One commentator said, it's so beyond our comprehension, John can only describe it with negatives, what it's not. There will be no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. I mean, you and I have no idea what it's like to be in a sinless place in the very presence of God. 
We, we have never experienced anything or any place where, there, where the curse was not, was not operating. So the only way that John can describe it to us is it says it's the opposite of what you know. This is the complete fulfillment of 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four, where death has been swallowed up in victory. All the parts of the curse that we've been looking at so intently in Ecclesiastes will be gone. Heaven will be a place of perfect holiness and the absence of sin and the presence of God and all righteousness. And with that unmitigated, undiluted, unending joy, <laughs> won't that be a wonderful thing? And it will be a new place made by God Himself. Look at this declaration that He makes in verse 5. He said, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, as to John, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And then He said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here is the declaration, and don't miss the significance of this. Verse 5 is one of the most significant in this entire passage. We've not heard God speak yet, but now He speaks, and He makes a declaration. He says, I will make all things new. I will make, I will construct, I will accomplish this work. And this work is new. This is the one from whom the, whole, the old heaven and earth fled away. And John is told to write it down because the words are, are faithful and true. Meaning, they'll surely come to pass. And he ends in verse 6 with these words, it is done. Now, why does he say that? kind of seems redundant, doesn't it? I do it, and it's done. He's already accomplished it. He, he called John to behold and, and told him to write about it. And now he says it's done. This is not, not just for redundancy here, but, but for redundancy in another place that you know well. These are the most important words of the passage. Let me see if you recognize... Those similar words from another passage. It is finished. <laughs> the crucified Christ says to Telestai from the cross, it is accomplished. And now the glorified Christ says, Gaganan, at the end of the age, it is done. And the one who spoke on the cross speaks again at the end of the age. And He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And He's the author and the finisher of your faith. The last thing that John sees is new citizens. And he sees two things. He sees the inclusion of the overcomers. And he sees the exclusion of the outcasts. Look, if you would, at... The second half of verse 6. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Where's that spring come from? 
comes from the throne, Christ Himself. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be His God, and He will be my, my Son. Those who enter this city, this place, have two characteristics. John says they thirst for God, and they've overcome. They thirst for God. They've, they've recognized their need. They've hungered and thirst for, for righteousness. They have a longing for righteousness that only God can provide, and their thirst has been quenched by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have overcome. They have exercised saving faith, and, and God has caused them to persevere. They've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. They've overcome not by their own strength, but by, by God's security. The Son does not lose one Lamb that the Father gives to Him. Not one. But sadly, there's another group that John sees here, and they're excluded. Look at verse 8. Here's the contrast. But for the, the cowardly, those that, that apostatize, those that forsake the face, those that do not overcome, but for the cowardly and the, the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part in this new thing will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, which we saw last time. And John ends this beautiful scene with a solemn warning. You know why he does that? Because this hasn't happened yet. This hasn't happened yet, and so John issues a solemn warning. God issues through John, God issues through a preacher tonight, a solemn warning before this ever takes place. He designates the sinners that will miss the blessings of heaven. They're the unforgiven and the unredeemed. They're the ones who have not washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. And they'll have their eternity in the lake of fire. Why would you ever go there when there is so great a Savior that freely offers salvation in heaven to anyone who would believe? Anyone who would believe. And He's made it all possible, hasn't He? And tonight, we're going to celebrate His table. And do you know what it says that we'll take this with Him the next time? In the kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm going to invite the deacons up and the pastors. They're going to be serving. And while they're coming, I would just ask you to bow your head. And I just say to you, um, 
This is the Lord's table. This is not Timberlake Baptist Church's table. And so if you know Jesus Christ, you can partake of this memorial of His death and His burial. And um, you don't have to be a member, but you should be born again. And the Bible also tells us that before we take from this table, we're to prepare our hearts um, and then to take it. So I would just ask that you would just take a moment, search your heart. If you don't know the Lord, just let the plate pass. Maybe you can do business with Him even now if you do know the Lord. Thank Him for what He's done, what He's done, and ask, ask Him to cleanse you fresh. Father, as we come before you tonight, we, we have no righteousness ourselves. We are we're all sinners, much greater ones than we, we even think or imagine. You are much greater than we, we can ever comprehend. And we have fallen short of loving you. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we've transgressed your law. We've stepped over specific boundaries. We've, we've lied. We've lusted. We've, we've stolen. We've, we've violated your, your Sabbath. We've dishonored our father and, and mother. We've coveted. And Lord, all of that comes from the iniquity that's in our hearts, the sin nature that's there, the stain that we can't wash away, that, that good works can't can't cover up. And yet, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all of that sin is washed away and all of His righteousness is credited to our account. Praise Your holy name. We look to Him. May He be glorified in all we do. Amen.